Mr. and Miss America, all the ships at sea. This is Ed Sheehan for Colony Confidential. I'm up here on West 57th Street, getting fitted for some custom-made clothes because I want to make the right impression, which helps a lot when we're dealing with sales. So what do you get? A pearl gray? Pearl gray tee? Pearl get? gray. Pearl gray. Got a blue shirt. Red tie. You're going to get a shirt and a tie, or are you going to get like one of these jobs where you never button it? You never put a tie on I have a tie, and I have this a shirt. This is a high neck. Oh, look at you, like Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> how did you get into doing bespoke suits, or how would you even say it? So technically speaking, I grew up in the business. My mother was a dressmaker and a seamstress. And so since I was young, growing up in a low-income family, my dad was working, and so she was our caretaker. So we would go. We had to go everywhere with her. You know, if she was sourcing fabrics and going to fabric stores, we all were with her. And so growing up, I mean, that's all I saw. I saw my mother making dresses, my mother making, she was also a baker. And so I went to all these fabric stores with her and, and even though I hated it because it was something no kid wants to do, <laughs> but it, it's funny because I, I understood it as well. So in hindsight, obviously when you come full circle, when I started getting into the clothing side of this, it might've been like 2006. Actually, no, I got into clothing in 2004. And then at that point, I started to kind of go into the memory bank of going, man, I, I remember going to, you know, source fabrics and all that stuff. And even though her and I do it in, in two different manners, it's still, you know, it's still interesting, kind of like me following those footsteps. So that's technically, I mean, I grew up in it and then I hated clothing because I also associated clothing being made for you with poverty when I was young. And then when I got into like the business world with like real estate and all that stuff, it became more of a competitive thing because I didn't know how to dress really well. And so when I started doing real estate, the majority of the guys would make fun of me. So rather than like getting like all like, you know, uh, offended and all that stuff, I took it more as like a challenge and kind of essentially got obsessed with like clothing. And so funny thing is I actually dress for those guys now. It made fun of me. You're also, you're addressing them. Yeah, the, the, I do all their suits. I've been making their suits now for seven years. I guess the embarrassment of not dressing right, that's what fueled you? So the GQ thing was actually six years after I started learning how to dress. So I had six years to learn from that 2004 mark, which is where essentially where I uh, started getting into it. So in 2004, I started getting into it and I didn't know anything. But, you know, one is it, it just like anything, you know, the, the more you put your heart into it and you, you get obsessed with anything, it becomes something that you're going to get good at because, you know, you put a lot of time into it. So the Esquire thing was my wife came to me and pretty much said, hey, you know, Esquire Magazine's having this essentially like competition where they're looking for best dressed real man. They don't do it anymore. And so I like submitted pictures and then, it, then you know, obviously I won. So that was a good thing. Yeah. That kind of took off because this industry is like a mafia. It's not easy to get in. Like to get into this industry, you have to know the right people. And because I had no experience, I had no experience, like no one would hire me. You know, I remember in 2000, between 2008 and 2010, I applied at several different like places. Ralph Lauren being one of them. I applied to Ralph Lauren like three different cities and they all denied me. And um, when I started working with Astra, the, the, that other company, 
it was cool because they gave me an opportunity to kind of get into an industry that I've never been in. In that side of the industry, to be honest with you, is what most would call like really like a non-sexy part of the industry, like the custom clothing world. But it allowed me to kind of understand and learn. So for me, it was great because it allowed me to learn and, it, and I'm actually thankful that I wasn't allowed into this, that retail side of the industry because then, you know, as they say, like, it's almost like uh, once you're there, you're almost stuck in retail. You're stuck in retail and that's like the worst place to be. From a stylist point, pest control, people building their business don't necessarily know how to dress out the gate and they graduate over time. Uh -huh. But what would your advice be to somebody that wants to guess fit in in the business world but somehow maintain their identity you know because if this is not just a new york podcast like our highest listenership right now is back in california it's been texas mm -hmm. you know it's, it's moved around so we're not just dealing with new yorkers who i guess the right word is get fashion a little bit right so i guess what would your advice be how would you you know i always tell anybody and it was just like with me the the first place to start is i don't even start especially now in a culture where it's weird, there's certain parts of society that are dumbing down their dress. So look at Morgan Stanley. They just had this giant uh, initiative to like, killing all the dress code. So now it's going to like come casual because what they're going is, we need to essentially attract all these young, freaking, what's it called, uh, tech billionaires. And when they're sitting down with us and we're trying to raise money for them, whatever, they don't want to sit in front of like some stuffy guy in a three-piece suit that's pinstripe that looks like he's Gordon Gecko. They want to sit down with someone who looks just like you. And so the guy goes, oh, dude, he looks great. And so I always say the medium to like whether you either want to dress up because you're in that industry or you, you're not in that industry and you kind of want to look a little better is get yourself a great pair of tailored jeans and start with a nice blazer. And I always say start with like a beautiful navy blazer that you can wear with a lot of things and then you graduate from there because you'd be shy. I mean, I wear a navy blazer with gold buttons. Honestly, like, it's like my go-to jacket. I travel with it all the time. And I wear it, I would say 60, 70% of the time. And I wear it with anything. jeans. Yeah, you can wear it with anything. I feel like no matter who you are, you graduate to a style anyway. And then you get stuck. Like for me, when we first met you, I wanted suits and ties. And I got tired of that shit. Yeah. Because it's like, I felt like I was the 80-year-old man in the room tie and neck and then we just it just changes when you can nail down the, the denim jeans and and blazer look it allows you to like it's something that you can wear in all facets whether you're going to work you go to like a restaurant meet someone you go to a bar you can go to like a meeting whereas in like with the suit thing is you wear the suit and a lot of people think like oh i'm going to something else after this that doesn't really call for a suit like with at least with the blaze and the jeans, it's like you're in everywhere. Yeah. You're e e now maybe not with jeans. In most cases, I mean, you can get into like restaurants that require a jacket, and you're good. You got a jacket at a great period. I mean, right now, it would be a shock if someone says, "Sir, you're not dressed appropriately." I got a question for you. Yes. All of these sports commentators, and I know you know people in the sports industry, with these. You know the trendy new shoe that's like a sneaker with the white. They all wear them on Fox, on ESPN. It's like that sneaker shoe that, they, but they wear full-blown suits with it, and it has the white sole. Yeah, that you see. What do you? How do you I feel think. About? I mean, so you're talking to a guy who I'm a huge advocate of classic style. 
So I would always be against that. That's not, I mean. Do I think that you can wear sneakers with a suit? Yeah, sure. But I mean, you know, I just think that that, what that is is the golf attire slowly kind of like creeping into elegant attire. I just, I look at that stuff. First of all, I think half the people on TV dress like garbage. I think they dress, and it's not because I'm not dressing them. I just think they just, even if they have style, most of these people have a stylist or whatever that works specifically with the channel. When you see these, I mean, it's guys that like, you're like, wait a minute, how are you the one that's doing this? Like, you, you don't even work at like a, a high-end store where you would have knowledge. They work in some rinky-dink like shopping center in Lowe's bit. Yeah. <laughs> do you still do Brandon? I don't, Brandon's a lot, I've sold him a lot of clothes. I remember in the years. Uh, and thankfully, Brandon is a very, very smart purchaser, meaning that, you know, he gets to the point where like, he's not just buying new stuff every year, he's, he's a dad now, he's a dad of like twins, you know, so, uh, actually he's a dad of three kids now, so he's not like going, I need new clothes every year, he's going like, oh dude, half the stuff you made me three years ago, and, and here's the, the sales part is like, of course you can still wear it, everything I'm selling you is classic, it's not like it's gone, none of it's gone out of style. The one thing about these suits is that the way they fit is just phenomenal when you get custom tailor-made suit. From the first time we met with you, it was just like, I can't buy it off the rack anymore. Because I put it on and I'm like, this is too square. That blue suit that I bought off you, I had to go pick somebody up at the airport. And I got there early. And they have these lounges where you got to be a certain card or something to get in. I was wearing that suit and I just looked at the guy at the door and he opened the door for me. And I said, <clears throat> okay. It matters, it, you know, obviously, yeah. My father always told me, like, dude, when you go, when you fly somewhere, you should always look appropriate. Now, the, the biggest myth that is certainly a myth and a lie, you won't get upgraded because you look nice. <laughs> it doesn't work, <laughs> you know? Uh, I've flown enough now to understand that that doesn't work like that. No, it's money and points. That's from it. the money you spend. Yeah, from the money, it, right. I always get complimented on the blazer. They're all your blazers. Well, they're mine. I own them, but you made them. But somebody always says something about it. Right. I make it a point to be that dad. I just make it a point to be ostentatious, might be <laughs> the right word. But yeah, it stands out. So, did, what? Would, how would you describe the difference between a bespoke suit and buying off the rack? And when I say buying off the rack, I don't mean like Saxons. They have me off the rack. I mean even just going into because we both like Ralph Lauren. Going, I've never bought a suit directly from him, but going in there and buying just one of his suits from the, the retail store, what would you say to me? I think the best way to, you have a Tesla, right? Mm -hmm. Still. Um, so Teslas are, all these type of cars are made by one by one. You know, If you wanted to customize your Tesla, it's a, it's a one-off thing. And it's that experience. You can go to Bentley and get a, a car and they're, they're making that car for you and you're picking out, you know, your leather seats and all that stuff. So when you go to like any department store, whether it's as high as Tom Ford, Ralph Lauren, or as low as uh, Men's Warehouse, you're buying a block that was essentially mass created for the average size 40 of the United States of America. The average size 42 of the United States of America, the average size 38 of the United States of America. As opposed to when you're sitting down with someone like myself or anyone who's making a garment for you, they're making it specifically for your body type. And so we are cutting a, we're hand cutting a pattern specifically for Joseph, specifically for Ed. 
as opposed to your dad is a, a 42 and three quarter chest. So they're gonna go, oh yeah, you know, you're about a 42, but your shoulders are a little wider and we're gonna put you in a 44. So now you're essentially wearing a jacket that was made for millions of men of the average. So they essentially sized you up and with every other average man. We're gonna put you in a size 44 and then just like take that block and start cutting it up and adjusting it to fit your body. We're saying, no, we're gonna take your measurements and we're gonna create your shape on a pattern, cut the, the, the uh, fabric to that pattern, and then make you something based off that. And there's a huge difference when you're wearing a jacket that is off the rack and it, when it falls on you, it's everything has a balance. Even if it was made as a, as they call it in the industry, a block pattern that was made for the masses, it's still, it's still balanced. It's balanced the way it was made. The moment you start tampering with that balance, the harmony is off. And so it's, it's why you wonder um, the difference between you buying a jacket off the rack and having it like taken in. It has this odd suppressed look that just doesn't ever feel right, but feels close to your body. So you feel like, oh, it's, it's, it's now the way it's supposed to fit. As opposed to when I make a, a, a blazer for someone, you'd be shocked of when they go, hey, it's a little big. I'm like, no, it's, it, it's not. It actually, I, I built it around your body. So you should have room, but when, you, when it's seen on you, it has that silhouette that looks like it's suppressed and tapered in like you would do to off the rack jacket. Right. But because I made it for you, we built that pattern of the jacket around your body. As opposed to if this wasn't built for you, it was just taken in and squeezed in in the midsection so that it can look like it was made for you. If you want to create a new world, you create a new world with new people. And so I had to kind of like bring in a whole new crowd into this new world that didn't know anything from the past. And I took, I brought, you being one of them, I brought some people from the past that just, you know, thankfully enjoyed working with me. But there were some other people that just, it didn't work out. What is that 11206? It's a zip code I was born and raised. Wait, wait, what neighborhood was that? Williamsburg? Mine was 11203. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah? Born and raised in Williamsburg. What, what uh, street? I was born on Grand Street and Len the corner of Grand Street and Leonard. In those days, it was a, there was a hardware store downstairs, and now there is a restaurant that's for breakfast. that's very expensive called Wilbur Cafe. Funny story about that. My uh, that building is uh, a red building in the corner, and then there's like a little second floor apartment building with like a garage under it. And that building was the red building where I grew up. And then behind it was like a building that had like a second, like a, a apartment upstairs and a garage in the bottom. And then the next building behind that was the same thing. Building, apartment upstairs and then nail salon on the bottom. And um, the owner owned all three. And he offered it my dad. He wanted to go back to his country. And he told my dad, this is in 1981 when I was born. He said, look, you know, I'm tired of all this. Just, you know, I'll sell you these, you know, I'll sell you all three. And uh, at that point, he was selling it to my dad for, I think it was $42,000. And uh, that, that week, there was a stray bullet that went into my room and uh, literally missed me by like, whatever. So you, when did you move? So my dad said, there's no way I'm, this neighborhood is a disaster. It's heroin infested, I'm, I'm getting out of here. And so he didn't buy it. That whole project now is probably easily worth like anywhere from 15 to 20 million. What tips would you have? I mean, obviously you've created a successful business. It's a customer service business. What made, what would you say made you successful? 
I think the what keeps us successful, what made us successful, is service. I, I, I'm a huge advocate of, of you know you can have the most incredible product, but if your service experience and execution is is really really bad or it's just poor in general, um, you're not. It, it's impossible to sustain that. And as opposed to you know, not to say that you should have a horrible product. But you'd be shocked of like if your product is subpar, but your service is impeccable, your experience is impeccable, and your execution is bar none incredible. The customers are willing to give you so much more grace when there is problems because the, the experience was so pleasant that you know I've I've learned that you know in the beginning especially because we gave and now our service that we give is ten times even better because I have so much I have so many people on a team that deal with different things rather than me doing everything where we if there's something wrong the customer's kind of attitude is not like oh dude we're gonna get it right we're fine because he's been communicated throughout the whole entire process of the uh, production it came on time as we quoted actually sometimes even uh, before that um, we got everything right but there was something you know as opposed to like you can have the best product in the world I have a lot of customers that came over from major major like you know, brands like Atelier that charges $8,000 for a suit. And customers just have bad experiences with them because, you know, they pay all this money and the, the suit comes in and it's just not, um, they're, you know, I, they're like, oh, I had six, seven months of fittings. And, you know, with you, I had one fitting and I had my stuff in six weeks. I always have this, the best joke is, um, I had a customer that I met, big doctor from the Upper East Side. He's part of the whole, uh, this big hospital here in New York. And he had this jacket made by a very, very famous bespoke tailor in Florence who came to New York, charged him like $8,000 for a jacket. Um, I, in the span of, I think it was like a year, I sold him, we probably made him three suits, four jackets, uh, like five or six pair of trousers. And in that whole time we were making him all that, and that's not one sale, that's just me. You know, we, his first sale was like two jackets and a pair of trousers, we just kept going. And that whole time, he had seven fittings for that jacket. So it, it's it's tough. You can have the best product in the world. Service is everything. Uh, so I, the only thing that I will always preach and I will always say is what makes a business and breaks a business or uh, sustains a business is you having it's customer service. It's the reason why Nordstrom trumps everyone because Nordstrom service is incredible. Um, that buyer, we're in an experience-based like world now where every customer wants the best experience that they want to be pampered they want to be communicated that's like the most smallest thing to do and it doesn't seem like it's a luxury high-touch thing to do but communication is like the luxury brands suck at that right they don't like it's and so in this in, in our world I'm like it's shocked of how like we keep and build so many customers based off just communication because we get so many referrals from clients who say, dude, this, like, my service with them is incredible. Like, you gotta use them. I, it's funny, one of the biggest jokes we always do is we give a disclaimer in sale, in like our meetings or our fittings. I say, hey man, we're over communicators. We, we, we communicate with you throughout the whole process. I'm like, if you're, if you're gonna be annoyed by that, sorry, you, you know, you're gonna be annoyed. You're gonna be annoyed. And if you're, if, you're, if you're not, you know, a lot of type A people, they love it. And so but communication is everything. So what's the, so the vision, I want to hear the vision, the strength, the strength. So 
we want to obviously, you know, we want to take our service, we want to take our product to as far as we can from across the country and even, you know, around the world. That is, it's easier to say, oh, we're just going to hire a bunch of salespeople. It's hard to say we're just going to, we are going to uh, bring on the right team that understands our culture and how we treat clients and then scale from that there. So, you know, understand that, you know, most companies say, you know, we're just gonna bring on a, a sales team of 20 people. It's easier to say because you go, I'm just gonna put out a, 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 a what's it called? Or a we're hiring kind of thing. And then take it from there. But we're not just hiring. We're hiring, but we, we're hiring a specific person. You know, one of the main questions I ask people is, you know, one of the biggest criteria we need you to have is, do you love working with people? I don't care if you can, I haven't even got to the point if you can sell. Do you love working with people? Because if you love working with people, then you that's like sell. that's the prerequisite. That, that, that's the thing. And so we wanna, I wanna take this to, you know, across the country, all over the world. And obviously one of our biggest thing is to turn this into a lifestyle brand. You know, the reason we, we transitioned to 18th Amendment is we've always been inspired by the prohibition period. And it's to to tell people it's more than clothes. It's it's we, we want to create you know we'd love to create um, an environment for gentlemen that they can come in and enjoy all the things that we we enjoy whether that's you know fine tailored clothing, great scotch, amazing wine, uh, good champagne, cigars, that whole thing. You know, one of our one of our goals and and I won't call it a drink. It's we're gonna do it is to buy a townhouse in New York and it's going to be like kind of like the, the as they call it, the flagship and it's going to be like our, our private men's parlor and it's where a guy can come in and he's a client or he's a member and there's going to be floors where he can get fitted for custom suits there's going to be you know, areas where he can go for a cigar areas where he can go to a bar and just have a nice glass of scotch and kind of like put up his laptop and work we want to create an environment for, for the modern day gentleman where they feel like it, it almost brings them back to the 1920s like they go, like, as if they're going to a speakeasy, but it also, it also allows them to kind of like unwind and, and, and still, again, it's going back to service, still be treated like a, like a true gentleman. We'll have a bench barber shop in there. We'll have, I mean, everything that is, again, goes back to like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll even have a selection, like a curated selection of, that, that's revolving of just watches. Uh, partnerships that we have with watches that when people come and they go, oh, I'm, you know, I've never seen this, and like, oh, this is just a collection just for the house, and so, um, yeah, so it, it, it's fun. But the main things are clothing, whiskey, um, food, grooming, like. And it'd be like a membership. Yeah. Right? Uh, well, I mean, unless you're a client, if you're not a client, you can have a membership. But the whole thing is, is like, you know, people end up becoming clients anyway, and then there goes their membership, you know. And and we want to be like, it, it's not. It's not you come every time you want to shop. It's coming on wine. Who's your ideal customer? Um, our ideal customer, I would say, is someone that just is mindful of their appearance. Um, he's an enthusiast of either clothing or has an interest in, in, in wanting to better his appearance and his style. Um, like we, you know, I would say, you know, our ideal customer is not the guy, not to say that he's not, but our ideal customer is typically not the guy who needs to wear a suit every single day. Because those, because of our price point and the quality we offer, 
those type of guys tend to just it's like a need that they just tend to go somewhere where they can get that need uh, like fulfilled. Well, it's like putting on a uniform, which right. is completely different we, than putting right. on your stuff. We our, our our customer is an enthusiast. The guy who likes dressing, he enjoys like putting a suit on and a jacket on, um, as opposed to it's a it's a necessity for him. Along those lines, when I first got into the pest control business, we were in a ghetto every day, six days a week. Uh huh. That's when you learn maybe we got to get a gun. And of course, you got a gun. But you didn't know where the gun had been used, where it murdered somebody or something. Maybe it was more, or the gun had a gun. Uh, yeah. So, you, but you you knew you needed a gun, and um, you hardly ever shaved. Or you, you know, you shaved on Sunday, because uh, Monday I had the Holiday Inn down the block here, so I had to look good for the Holiday Inn. But um, as it went along, I met this guy Bob Poirier, who was one of our suppliers, and he told me, you know, I listened to you talk, and you look like a sharp kid. He said, and if you dress better, maybe you do be. I know you do better. I said, what are you talking about? Like in a suit? He goes, no. You got ripped jeans. You don't shave. You look like, you look like a bum that came off the street. I said, yeah, this way I don't get mugged. So he looked at me. So we went to uniforms. I went to a uniform because I was the whole company then. Dressed up, shaved occasionally. And um, when I joined the uh, Pest Control Association, I went back and uh, went to Brooklyn College and took a public speaking course. I had no problem, I always liked people. But when you were talking before what drove you when these guys neglected you or shunned you, when I joined the association, they'd laugh at me when I'd ask these questions. And I was driven by two things. I had to succeed because my parents came here from Ireland, that was the big thing, America, America, America. So I was pushing to succeed. And now you laughed at me. Right. Three of these guys I wound up buying in later on. The driving so forward. it was, you know, it's like that hatred or yeah. desire the to spite. succeed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a healthy spite, I like calling it. A healthy spite. It worked for me and apparently worked for you. Yeah, absolutely. And guys would tell me, you were, you were exterminated, you had a big business. So I started talking to you. They, what are you talking to him for? He's a crook, he's a thief, he's this and that. I'm like, I don't know, the way I'm talking to this guy, I think he thinks things through more than you guys do and he's got more, he's got more of a vision. Like somebody get to one hundred thousand dollars a year, they're happy. This guy's at two million. I want to talk to him. You learn who to pick and who to trust, or who you can kind of trust, and right. and who is just talking. As an exterminator, when I was out in the field, some of my original customers kept telling me it looked good. But where it, where it changed, we started getting corporate customers. Right. You know, you got to go to these dinners once a year for these hospitals. And these secretaries that are like, oh, it's the exterminator. Now I show up in a nice suit. Uh, I, yeah, clean up good. Right. Oh my God. And it's just the way you present yourself in certain occasions. I'm not gonna go in to do a rat job in one of your suits. Because <laughs> I get very screwed up very sure, quick. Sure, of course. So it's dressed for the occasion. So what I did is I had a white shirt, everybody else had a blue shirt. I conducted myself differently, the way I approached things, the way I spoke to you, and the way I looked. You know, mm -hmm. guys are here, they have a problem. All of a sudden, this guy shows up in a white shirt, he's got this little microscope that fits in his pocket, everybody, it's really a magnifying glass, and you're telling some microscope, and you're looking at the inside, you, you know, you got like a routine. You got your game plan in, uh, in front of you, what you're gonna do, and part of that is how you dress. The rest of it's speaking, liking people, and listening to what, what is your problem? 
Don't say nothing until they finish. Well, it's right. all Thank about you. people. And I think what you said is as you, as you grow in business, whatever business it is, for us being it's a service industry business, you know, the uniform is good and everybody to be uniform. We actually got a good amount of business through the K-19 because our K-19 has a uniform. It's the shirt and khakis. And the other K-19 that they were using would show up in a basketball jersey, a football jersey, like no uniform. And then I think as an owner, you need a uniform too. If you go into this location, you need to have the proper attire for that. Right. Which is a suit, nine out of ten times. Tie in no tie in this day and age, you could get away with no tie, right? But some, I'm going to an event next week that the dress code is jacket and tie mandatory. So you gotta have that, and you gotta have a good one. And the key is to have one that they remember. How would you break down business casual or ca you know, casual attire, formal attire? Like what would you I think form I mean, so technically formal attire is black tie, tuxes. Um, dress attire is a suit uh, and a tie. Business casual is a suit, no tie. Um, a business jacket, you have an elegant blazer that was made for you on. However, you have a dress shirt on, no tie, and a pair of jeans. And I wouldn't call this business casual, This is because this is creative. And then after this, um, I don't think there is any other. I mean, casual is casual. Casual, yeah. Casual is, you know. Because uh, you know business casual, you see guys with, especially in the summer, a short sleeve polo. That's not business casual. I wanted to, I wanted yeah, to that's that. I would business casual. That's bitch attire. Right, <laughs> anything with business, you should always have a jacket on. Jackets are mandatory if you're going to call anything business. I do appreciate that in this day and age now, there's so much information out there for gentlemen to continue to be educated on on elegant clothing and tailoring and all that stuff. So that way, when they do sit with me, happy that they go, look, you know, I know this about this and I know this, and and so. It makes the, the the experience also less intimidating. It's just you know, it's almost the same thing as saying you know you're gonna have a meeting with someone and they or you're going to someone's house and they've done some research on on the, the problem they might have and the entry points of why this pest is coming in from here or you know when you when, when your guys came to see me I had no clue that uh, mice like in the winter look for shelter. But then obviously it makes sense. Yeah, but it's not on your radar. Just right. It shouldn't be. Right. And then also at the same time, it's like, another thing is, I think it was one of your guys who I ran into randomly while he was doing a job. I was, it was one of my, I was going to see a client in like a luxury building. And he's like, God, oh, you know, you'd be shocked if these problems, these places have worse problems than the projects. Because he goes, dude, we're in New York. At the end of the day, yeah, they, they don't we're all, this is, this is all, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is, we're, we're, we're built on top of all the sewer. So yeah, where can people find out more about 18th Amendment? So they can, so you can always go to our Instagram page, which is 18th, spelled out, 18th Amendment underscore, or our website is, is always easiest as well. It's 18th Amendment, spelled out, spelled out. Dot com. In today's society, everybody wants convenience, and nobody answers calls from an unknown number. Do you? No. Yeah, I know. I test it every once in a while, so I could say I called you, and... <laughs> It, but it's from another number just because I really don't oh, want to talk to you. Oh. Uh, Jesus, why didn't you tell me about that with Grandma? Well, it didn't exist. <laughs> Grandma had a rotary phone, so that's a whole other story. A big rotary phone. 
So here's crazy numbers, right? Six billion text messages are sent every day and 90% of customers prefer to text a business they work with. So it's the company that allows them to communicate on their terms. That will win the race for clients. With Podium, customers can text you straight from your website, your Google business listing, your Facebook page, basically all of the major channels people are searching for pest control services. Podium puts it all in one place for you and your team to manage, which allows us to accomplish more in less time. Want to learn more about Podium? Go over to colonyconfidential.com, tools of the trade section, and click on the blue button. Coming up next time on Colony Confidential. We got some more Q&A. This is really good. Let me start, let me start with your favorite, right? My question is about collections. How do you go about getting past due payments from your customers? I have a client who's been great for six years, but now racked up about $2,500 in bed bug work at one of his smaller apartment buildings, and he's been delinquent for over seven months. Do you use a collection agency? Just call it a loss or go pay them a visit. Go pay them a visit.